fact that in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ was and is power for healing for the body. And uh, I, I'm so thankful for that. And I think that this is something that the Spirit of the Lord has laid on my heart and the heart of other people. That in the last days, the church of Jesus Christ needs to recognize the power that we have through the Lord for miraculous healing. <clears throat> in the last couple of weeks, last uh, month, we've heard that um, one of the presidential candidates, John Edwards, his wife, has had a reoccurrence of cancer in her body. We also heard that the uh, uh, press secretary, the White House press secretary, Tony Snow, uh, a man in his late 40s, early 50s, uh, has uh, terminal cancer. Also, I've heard uh, of uh, in the church ministers, significant ministers that have been stricken with uh, sickness and disease. And it gives me the impression, the feeling in the spirit that there is an attack. It's an enemy attack on the physical body of human beings. And I think it's time for the church to be the church and for us to recognize the authority that we have through the name of Jesus. And uh, that authority comes by the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So we're going to look at this today. Uh, uh, and uh, there, there's varying opinions on this subject. Some people believe that the, uh, that the uh, cross of Calvary had nothing to do with healing of our physical bodies. But I hope to prove to you from the word of the Lord that we do have authority to believe and expect for physical healing, amen, uh, because of the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, as we talk about the blood of Jesus and its significance to us as Christians uh, and as believers, is that uh, when Jesus was preparing to go to the cross and they were uh, celebrating the Passover, the disciples gathered together and uh, Jesus uh, constituted what has been referred to since then as the Last Supper. And uh, this Last Supper was the commemorating of the breaking of the body of Jesus Christ and the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ and its significance to us as Christians. Luke 22 and 20, um, as Jesus took the cup, he said, This is my blood of the New Testament. Everybody say New Testament. It means a new covenant and a new agreement a new contract and so jesus said this represents the blood my blood not to be confused with any other blood jesus blood of the new testament or the new covenant and it is for the remission washing away forgiveness of sins and so this new covenant that jesus was making with mankind was made by His blood. And there's several other Scripture verses that give us a uh, um, uh, foundation to this very basic doctrine of Scripture. Uh, as you look through uh, Old Testament times, you see that the idea of blood in covenant was, uh, uh, was established even before it became a Judeo and then a Christian concept. Uh, whenever two men made a, contact, a contract in olden times, or a covenant between one family and another, uh, uh, a typical practice was what's referred to as the cutting of the covenant. And what they would do is they would uh, slightly uh, penetrate the skin and cut uh, the arm of both parties, and uh, then they would take and they would mingle the blood in this manner. And as the blood was mingled, this was symbolic of uh, a contract and an agreement, and uh, they were sealing the contract 
with the blood that they uh, were sharing. So the ancient blood covenants were a, a, a form of making a contract with blood. And then Abraham's covenant was, uh, God said, this is the sign of the covenant. The sign of the new covenant among the Hebrew people was circumcision, that every male child at eight days old would be circumcised. And then the Passover lamb, uh, this was the uh, means that the Lord decided that uh, he would represent the coming cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that was going to be shed. The Passover lamb was sacrificed. The blood had to be shed. And then the, the blood covenant for sin, of course, was on the cross of the Lord. And uh, finally, the bread that we take when we, we practice communion and the wine or the juice that we use is symbols of the new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. New covenant is about Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. This is what sealed the new covenant. It wasn't about us cutting our hands or circumcision of the flesh. It's about the blood and the body of Jesus Christ is what is creating this new covenant. And so when we, uh, when we partake of communion, the juice and the uh, unleavened bread that we partake of symbolizes, the bread symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ, which was broken for us, and the blood uh, the, the, the juice represents or the wine represents the blood that was shed for us. And so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, as we practice communion, it says, Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And so as a church, when we practice and uh, when we um, observe communion, we are, we are remembering and showing the Lord's death. So we're looking backward to the Lord's death. But also it says, do it until He comes. So we're looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, as I said, I want to talk about healing in the atonement. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, When the even was come, they brought unto Him many that were possessed with devils. And He cast out the spirits with His Word and healed all that were sick. This is what Jesus did. Verse 17, That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, look at this, Himself took our infirmities. Now let me, let me just give you a little insight here. Infirmities means sicknesses. Infirmities is a fancy word for sicknesses. And the Bible says that Jesus Himself took our infirmities and bare our or carried our sicknesses. So it's, pro, it's, it's quoting Isaiah. We'll go to the actual Old Testament Scripture that it's being quoted from. This is a, a prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ. Everybody understand this happened long before Jesus ever came. But it was a prophecy of His coming. Who hath believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up. Who's He? The arm of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, the right arm of the authority and strength of God. He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him, nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Now pay attention here. 
Verse number four. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. That means the nails had to do with your sin. Transgressions is sin. Everybody understand that. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That means the bruises that Jesus had were for our sins, which are many. And Jesus received the affliction of the uh, uh, nails and of the bruises for our transgressions. He was, uh, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Healed. Now, the Bible says two things here. It, it says, uh, notice, first of all, it says infirmities. And then it says we are healed. Some people look at the scripture and says, well, this is just talking about healed from your sin. But the Bible makes it plain that it was our infirmities that he took up. And as Jesus walked among men and lived on the earth, he was dealing with people's sin problems, but also he was dealing with problems of sickness in the body. Let me just give you a little history right now. When man was created, anybody know what the first man's name was? Adam. He gets a point. He's interacting. Adam was the first man, and he was created and set. And then his wife was created, and they were set in this utopia, utopian place called the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, we are aware that there was no sickness and no pain. Everybody got that? In the Garden of Eden, it was perfect. It was like 72 degrees every day. It was like profused, a profusion of plants uh, and, and, and things to eat. And there was no sickness and no pain. Now, these teenagers here are looking at me and saying, well, what's so cool about that? That's like every day for me. But as you get a little bit older and you're looking at me and saying, you're still young too, but I'm already starting to experience the sickness and pain that is a part of growing older. So in the Garden of Eden, there was no sickness and no pain. But Adam was the first man... And his decisions affected everybody. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all have sin. Sin entered the world through one man. So because of Adam, we're all sinners. Not only that, but because of Adam, we're all sinners going to die now there are a number of people that die because of accidental deaths catastrophic deaths but the majority of people die from what sickness sickness whether they're in old age whether it's a heart condition whether their physical body just breaks down this is a type of infirmity or sickness that brings us to death by one man whose name was adam sin came into the entire family of man but also death and the vehicle that takes us to death is sickness and infirmity because all have sinned. And so because of Adam, his disobedience and uh, his treasonous act against God's plan when he disobeyed in the Garden of Eden, sin came unto all individuals. Genesis 2.17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, God told to Adam. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
Now, we know one thing, that when Adam partook of the tree, he didn't drop dead that second, did he? No, he was still alive. But from the moment he disobeyed, two things happened. Number one was spiritual death happened immediately. That means sin disconnected him from God. But number two, the corruption of the human body began when Adam disobeyed God. Death started right then. That means sickness, pain, infirmity, invisible diseases began to come upon and affect human beings. Does everyone understand that you can't have death without the corruption or the decay or the infirmity or the sickness of the human body? And so when Adam disobeyed God's plan, he not only brought the curse of sin upon humanity, but he also brought the curse of pain and sorrow and suffering. Now, uh, we know the serpent that uh, tempted Eve was actually Satan, who the Bible says in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 4, 3, But if the gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world... Who's the God of this world? I want you to look up there. The, the G on God is little, right? So that means it's not Jehovah. It's not Jesus Christ. The God of this world is Satan. Satan. The gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan's job is to blind people to the power of the gospel. And he does a good job of it, trying to keep us blinded to the power of the Lord and God's ability to deliver. Satan blinded the minds of men. What happened when Adam disobeyed is the whole... The whole uh, um, priority and the whole uh, order of things got shifted around. Let me explain it to you. Y'all still with me? Here's the order of things. God's plan is for him to be in control. Can we agree with that? Why? Because he's God. He is in control. And so we're as human beings, we're, we're to be under God's authority, right? Sin, the flesh, hates authority. Carnality just... Ah, hates authority. And so what happened when sin... Here's God's plan. God's plan is God's in charge. We're a human being. How can He be in charge of me? I've got to be connected to Him, right? I've got to get orders. I've got to know what He wants me to do. The only way that can happen is through the part of us that God breathed into us, which is our spirit. Everybody say spirit. The spirit is the part of you that connects with God. The spirit is the part of you that is breathed from God. Not your body. Your body's from the earth. But your spirit is from God. And it has the ability to connect to God. So everybody, you've heard before that a human being is three parts. Body, soul, spirit. Body, soul, spirit. Body, soul, spirit. The human person, the human being, I am, you, body, soul, spirit. God's plan is for Him to be in charge through our spirit. So really, our spirit is in control of the spirit, of the soul, and the body. And so our spirit is the part that connects to God. Secondly, our spirit, which is controlled by God, controls our soul. Anybody know what your soul is? I'll make a plain to you. Your soul is the real you. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's who you are. 
if somebody introduces me and says, hey, this is uh, Lorenzo. I want you to meet Lorenzo. And I'm looking at him. And I see this body. And next time this body comes walking through the door, I'm going to say, that's Lorenzo. But that body is not Lorenzo. That's just a covering for him or, or, or a, a container. The real Lorenzo is the way he laughs, the things he says, what's going through his mind, the things that makes him upset, the things that makes him happy. This is the real soul of a person. Everybody got that? And what's the body? The body's the container. Your flesh is the container for your soul. So God's plan was originally for him to be in charge, then him to control our spirit. And our spirit to be in charge of our mind, will, and emotions. Everybody got that? And then final on the, uh, on the totem pole was our flesh, which is submitted to our mind, will, and emotions, which is submitted to our spirit, which is submitted to God. But when Adam sinned, when spiritual blindness came, when there was spiritual death that happened, the spirit was taken out of the equation. And so man no longer had a connection with God, no longer was submitted with God, that Adam became spiritually dead. So if your spirit's dead and you're not connected with God, God's not in control anymore, is he? So what has to take charge now? Your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Anybody ever met somebody whose emotions control them? They're controlled by their emotions. Or their will. I want this so bad. And it just controls their life. Your mind, your will, or your emotions is what takes control when you're spiritually dead. So human beings who are not born of the Spirit are led by their mind or their willpower or their emotional being. And so then their, so their, mind, their, their spirit was dead. Their soul got in charge. And their flesh became corrupted by disease and sickness and sin. Now, Adam experienced this spiritual death, and the reign or the kingdom of sin included also disease and pain. Does everybody got that? Sin's kingdom includes sickness and pain in the human body. If Adam never messed up, then I would experience no pain, and I wouldn't die. You got it? And I also wouldn't be a sinner, I wouldn't be cursed with sin. God would be in control of my life. His Spirit would, con He would control me through His Spirit. My, my mind, will, and emotions would be submitted to God's Spirit. My body would be submitted to that. But because of sin, not only, not only is there sin in my life, but also there's disease and pain. And the air became charged with diseases and germs too small to even be seen. And we know that sickness is a part of death. In one place in the Bible, uh, they came to Jesus and said, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus said, this is not the sickness unto death, which lets us know that there is a sickness unto death. Sickness is designed to kill you. It's a part of the curse of sin. And there have been people who have asked, how can there be a God? Uh, I don't believe that there's a God. If there was a God, there wouldn't be any cancer. If there was a God, children would never get sick. If, if there was a God, people wouldn't experience suffering in the world. Yeah, there's a God, but there's also... A devil. There's a Satan who, who brought into the world the corruption of sin. Don't think for a minute that God brought sickness, that God brought pain, that God brought this corruption in the human body. It was Satan himself. And uh, 
The evil that resulted from Satan's kingdom or Satan's reign as God of this world includes sickness and pain. Is everybody still with me? Sickness and pain is a result of Satan being the God of this world. And the twin forces of suffering in our lives is sin, which all of us struggle with, whether it's habits, whether it's things that we're bound by, whether it's bad attitudes and spirits, all of this is a product of sin that all of us struggle with. But the other twin is suffering, suffering, sickness, sin and sickness, sin and sickness. That's the twins. Hold up two fingers so you get the message. Sin, sickness, sin, sickness. These are the twins, forces of suffering in the world today. Sin affects my spirit, but disease and sickness affects my body. Everybody got that? Sin does a number on my spirit. And sickness and disease does a number on my body. If you could imagine, if somebody gets a, a disease and attacks their body. Many of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but many of you have been around someone before that have been stricken with a terminal illness and you watched what it did to their body. And it was so, 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 uh, it made you so sad and was so overwhelming to see the effects of disease on the flesh and the human body. That's the same thing that sin does to the spirit. You can't see it with your eyes. But it's the same debilitating, corrupting effect on the human being. And so, uh, just so you understand, sickness is a transmitted result of the original sin. But sickness itself is not sin. Has everybody got that? What that means is, is uh, I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying to think that, well, he's sick. He must have got struck with sickness because he was a sinner. We're all sinners originally, right? Because of Adam. So that doesn't mean somebody's sick because of something they did. But what it does mean is sickness is a part of humanity because of the original sin. It's a transmitted result. And when you look at the old covenant of the Old Testament, you notice that there is much reference to dietary laws that they could eat this and they couldn't eat that was that just random so that so that uh god's like you know i want to just see if they're going to believe me so i'm going to say you can't eat that and you can eat this there was a purpose behind the dietary laws and it had to do with this curse of sickness in the human body the old covenant dealt with health through the dietary laws that we see in Scripture. And there are many examples of that in Scripture. And whenever Jesus came to the earth, when Jesus came, He went around healing people's diseases and taking care of sicknesses. Anybody uh, love to hear the stories of Jesus' miracles? It's going to be neat. During the drama presentation today, you'll get to see some miracles of Jesus uh, uh, represented here. I love to hear preaching about and see representations of the miraculous power of Jesus Christ. In fact, when you look at the Matthew, at the book of Matthew, uh, a full one seventh of every verse in Matthew is dedicated to a miracle or a healing of Jesus Christ. When you look at the book of Mark, one third, 
One out of every three verses has to do with a miracle or a healing that Jesus is performing. In Luke, it's one quarter. One out of every four verses is about miracles and healings. John, one out of every five is about the miracles and the multiple healings of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus' ministry was not just single-pronged, but Jesus' ministry was two-pronged to deal with the two results of human suffering that came from the original sin. Jesus came not just to deal with sin, but He came also to deal with disease and sickness. Amen? And when you understand and when you realize that sickness is a product of the original sin, you realize that when Jesus went to the cross, He didn't just go to deal with your sin problem, but He also went to take care of sickness and pain in the human body. If you believe that, say amen. So Jesus' ministry brought peace to the soul. But it also brought healing to the body. And everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd of people following them, carrying uh, people that were sick and their bodies were broken and they needed a touch of healing. Jesus brought them and he uh, they were brought to Jesus and he delivered those that were vexed by the enemy. In fact, one interesting story in Scripture is, uh, uh, well... First of all, 1 John 3, 8. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. And then it gives us Jesus' purpose. But the Son of God, which is Jesus, came to destroy these works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy, to decimate the works of the devil. Do you have a sin problem? You have a problem with uh, habits. You have a problem with things in your life. Jesus came to destroy it. Do you have sickness in your body? Do you experience much pain? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Understand, I'm not saying you're sick because of something you did. But you are sick because of what Satan did a long time ago. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? One interesting passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 2 uh, is, is one example in Scripture where Jesus brings together His twin purposes of forgiveness of sin and healing of the body. Mark 2, 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there said to themselves, What? This is blasphemy. Who but God can forgive sins? Jesus knew that they were discussing among themselves, so he said to them, Why do you think this is blasphemy? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or get up, pick up your mat, and walk? He said, Why are you so freaked out that I say thy sins be forgiven thee? But you have no problem when I say, Take up your bed and walk. And then look at the next verse, verse 10. I will prove that I, the Son of Man, have the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, take up your mat, and go on home because you are healed. Somehow his authority to forgive sins was tied up to his authority and ability to heal the human body because he came to do this dual purpose, amen, to take care of sin, to forgive sin, to wash and cleanse people who were stained by sin and give them power and victory over sin and also to deal with sickness and pain and suffering 
in the human body. Jesus is able to do this. Amen? Amen. Well, somebody might say, well, in that case, then all Christians should live forever. Because, you know, then nobody will ever die. Well, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. Everybody's going to die. The Bible says in another place, basically, the number of years, 75 years that a person gets. Many people get more, much more. Many people get less, much less. But that's in just kind of an average. The Bible says this is what's appointed to you and allotted to you. And there is a sickness unto death. But in the meantime, until the sickness unto death comes, I believe it's God's will for Christians and people of God to understand that we have authority over sickness. We have authority over pain through the name of Jesus Christ and through the shed blood of the atonement. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Sickness is a work of the devil. Pain is a work of the devil. And Jesus came to destroy that. If you believe that, I want you to say amen and receive the word of the Lord. Jesus says, in effect, I can do both. Amen? And crazy thing is they had more problem believing, more problem believing that he could forgive sins than believing he could heal the human body. We as Christians, we're on the opposite end now. We have no problem believing Jesus can forgive our sins. But when I say, Jesus wants to heal your body right now, we're like, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. These guys were the opposite. They're like, yeah, I know you can heal him, but you can't forgive his sins. Come on, we need to understand Jesus came to do both. And when the preacher says God's going to heal you, you need to accept it. You need to believe it. When somebody prays for you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to believe and expect that it's going to happen. Now, I'm not preaching this or teaching this to make you feel bad. I'm preaching and teaching this for you to put your faith in the Word of the Lord. Because it doesn't matter the fact that Jesus came and died and His atonement has healing in it. If you don't believe it, then you can't appropriate it. Just like Jesus' blood that was shed for your sins is of no good unless you believe it. Do you realize what I'm saying? You have to have faith in God to receive forgiveness of sins. You don't receive forgiveness of sins just automatically because Jesus died. You receive it through faith. Same with healing. There's healing in the blood of Jesus Christ for you and you and you and you and every person. There's healing through the blood of Jesus Christ available to you. But you don't get it just because he shed it. You get it because by faith you accept and apply Amen. As Brother Mark said last week, the blood of Jesus Christ for healing and cleansing in your body. Now, when Jesus had been doing his healing ministry on the earth, he then went a step further and gave his disciples the authority to go heal the sick and to forgive sins, preach the kingdom of God. I, I, I noticed that that was in my Bible reading this week. It was in yours, too. It said Jesus sent them out two by two, 72 of them. Remember that? Did you read that? He sent out 72 of them two by two. And he said to them, he said, I want you to go out. I want you to preach the kingdom of God. And I want you to heal the sick. And we're commissioned with the same purpose. And I feel like the Lord has been working me over the last couple of weeks. Because we're not going to be sensational. We're not going to be looking only for the signs and wonders. But I believe we ought to expect for people to receive miracles in this house. Because Jesus has commissioned us to preach the kingdom of God and to heal through the name of Jesus and the blood of the Lord to heal those that are sick in body. How many are thankful for the blood of Jesus and the healing power of the Lord? 
in all four of the Gospels, we see where the authority was given to the disciples of Jesus, not just the apostles, not just the 12 apostles, but the disciples or the followers of Jesus were given authority to heal the sick. And uh, uh, this promise that we read about in Isaiah that talked about Jesus' purpose uh, in coming to the earth, he came to bear our infirmities. He came to take his sicknesses upon him and by his wounds we are healed. In uh, the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read about the uh, um, practice of communion or, or kind of some parameters on how to practice communion. And uh, they were repeating what Jesus essentially had said at the Last Supper. It's 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, And when he had given thanks, he brake it, this is the bread, and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. The bread that was broken was representative of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken. The body that was broken for you and me. And when we take communion, we do it in remembrance of him. In that same chapter, chapter 11, this is verse 24. You skip down to verse 29 and 30, and look what it says. Verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I want you to look at that. Not discerning the Lord's body. Not remembering, recognizing the fact that that body was broken for you. If you eat it unworthily, that's essentially eating it in a mindset that you don't consider what it is. Some people look at this scripture and say, well, I'm not worthy to take communion. I, I've had sin in my life, or I'm not worthy, I'm not perfect. That's not what it's talking about. When it says, and, and I've taught this before, but I want you to look at the word, unworthily. What's the difference between unworthy and unworthily from a grammatical sense? Does anybody know what the grammatical difference is? You're right. Unworthy is an adjective. Unworthily is an adverb. What difference does that make? What does an adjective do? An adjective describes a what? A person, place, or or thing, or idea. Person, place, thing, or idea. A noun. You guys didn't know you were going to get an English lesson today, did you? little reminder here. An adjective. So, an adjective can be used to describe a chair, a person, a house, a building, a concept. Anything is described by an adjective. So, if the word was unworthy, then it could be describing me. But the word unworthily is an adverb. What does an adverb describe? An adverb describes a verb or another adjective. And in this case, in the grammatical sense, unworthily is describing drinketh and eateth. In other, it's, in other words, unworthily doesn't refer to you. Unworthily refers to how you eat and drink the communion. So that means if you eat it and drink it, it's not talking about whether you are worthy or not. It's whether your manner of partaking it is worthy or not. And so when you take it, you must recognize this is representing the blood of Jesus. This is representing the broken body of Jesus. 
said, when you eat or drink unworthily, you're not discerning the Lord's body and blood. You're just like having Kool-Aid and cupcakes. But when you eat it worthily, you are discerning. This is the body that was broken for me. This is the blood that was shed for me. But look at look what it says. When you don't discern the Lord's body, verse 30, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Not because people are taking communion that shouldn't be taking it, but it's because we're not discerning the broken body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you and me. We have forgotten that the body of Jesus was beaten so we don't have to be sick. We have forgotten that the body of Jesus was blistered and bruised and cut open and broken so that you could be free from sickness and pain. Amen. And uh, that's why uh, I believe we need to understand, we need to remember, we need to remember, we need to discern the Lord's body. You're sick in your body, you're not going to stay sick in your body if you believe that the blood of Jesus takes care of your sin and the body of Jesus takes care of your sickness and pain in your physical body. Let's clap to the Lord and thank Him. When you give somebody something to someone that requires a sacrifice, you want them to use it, don't you? I mean, what, what, if, what if you worked overtime for three years straight? You worked all the overtime you could so you could buy an automobile for your teenager, which is a bad choice, but that's another subject, to let them buy it for themselves and teach them some character. But... Uh, Anyway, you do it. It's your choice. You can do whatever you want to. But uh, I know what I'll do. And uh, so, so you get this car for the, the child, and you've worked so hard. You've sacrificed. It was a commitment to do this. And so you give it to them. Give them the keys. You've got gas in the car. you got your license now. But they keep riding the bus, and they keep riding with friends. And the car sits in the driveway, and there's no miles getting put on it. And you're like, tell me again why I work 12 hours a day for the last three years. Because whenever you sacrifice to give something to someone, you want them to take advantage of it and use it. What if Jesus died for the world, but nobody took advantage of his blood to get their sins forgiven? I think it would be like... Tell me again, why did I experience the nail in my, in my hands and feet? Why did I experience all that pain to shed this blood and people aren't using it? The same is true of the body of Jesus Christ. He suffered a cruel lashing. He suffered a uh, heinous beating. But the purpose for the lashing and the beating was so that you don't have to be sick anymore. So that you don't have to suffer with pain anymore. There is power in the body of Jesus, in the atonement of the cross of Jesus Christ for healing of the human body. Hallelujah. Just lift up your hands to him right now and thank him for it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I don't have to suffer pain anymore. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to be sick any longer. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. His blood was shed for our redemption to take care of our sins. And His body was broken for our sickness to take care of sickness and disease.
The Bible makes it clear, very clear in many places. In 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. By the way, by whose stripes you were healed. The new covenant in the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. See, if you're only worried about your sins, if that's the only purpose Jesus died, then all we'd have in communion is the grape juice. But Jesus' atonement takes care of sickness as well. That's why we break the bread as well. And when we don't discern the body of Jesus, they're sick among us. But I want to remember the body that was broken. And when you remember the body, the sickness is gone. And when you have faith in the broken body of Jesus Christ, sickness and disease is gone. Do you believe what I'm preaching to you? Amen. Healing promises in the Word of God. Luke twenty-two nineteen. My body which is given for you. Matthew eight seventeen. Himself took our infirmities, bare our sicknesses. First Peter two twenty-four. By whose stripes you were healed. Luke nine eleven. Healing them that had need of healing. Jesus ministry. Luke nine and eleven. Healing all that were oppressed by the devil. And uh, James 5.15, for New Testament believers, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and they shall recover. That's the prayer of faith. Faith in what? Faith in the broken body of Jesus Christ. Faith in the broken body of the Lord. The Scripture, the Word of God gives us ways to access and tap in to the healing power of the atonement. Number one, James 5.14 says, anoint with oil. Call for the elders of the church. Have them anoint you with oil. Amen. And pray the prayer, pray the prayer of faith and you shall recover. You've got to believe that it's going to happen when the anointing comes. Mark 16.15, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's what the Bible says. Lay hands on the sick. So we've got anointing oil. Amen. And we've got uh, uh, the power to lay hands on the sick. Brother Donnie, can you get me some oil real quick? Uh, I don't know where it went. It went with the pulpit, I believe. But we've got this power and this promise and this access through the word of the Lord. Anoint aprons and handkerchiefs. This was another thing they did in the New Testament church and took them to those that were sick in body. And uh, Matthew 18 and 19, they united together in prayer. Mark 11 and John 14, personal prayer of faith, your own prayer of faith. And uh, uh, the Bible also talks about God hath given to some the gifts of healing, amen, through faith in Jesus Christ. So we know that the new covenant gives us promises. The new covenant gives us power, amen, to lay hands on the sick, to anoint with oil, and they shall recover. All the while discerning, remembering, and considering that the body of Jesus was broken so I don't have to be sick anymore. The body of Jesus is broken so my backache can be gone. The body of Jesus was broken so cancer could be shriveled. The body of Jesus was broken so your headache would go away right now. Now, the body of Jesus was broken to take care of pain and suffering. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Satan brought sin and Satan brought sickness. And Jesus says, I can deal with both of them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a doctor who studied crucifixions from a medical perspective. And his, what he had to say was written, by, written in a book by uh, uh, Josh McDowell called uh, Resurrection Power. said, uh, The heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across the shoulders, back, and legs. 
At first, the heavy thongs cut through the skin only. As the blows continue, they cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead in the whip first produce large, deep bruises which are broken open by subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it is determined by the centurions in charge that the prisoner is near death, the beating is finally stopped. Times when we hear about this, we shudder as we envision the inhumane torture that was inflicted upon Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's ugly. It's grisly. Not something we enjoy talking about or looking at. It's ghastly and nauseating even. Yet we must never exclude the bloody details from this greatest love story that was ever told. His blood and his broken body purchased salvation and healing. So we spare no details. As gruesome as they may be. So that it doesn't become less real to us. Why are we sick? Sometimes the crucifixion of Jesus Christ becomes like a story that we've heard. Like a fairy tale. Like the stories we read when we were children. And we wonder why we can't appropriate the power and the atonement for our supernatural healing of our body. The problem is, the problem is not that God's power has waned. Over the centuries. Anybody agree with me? The problem is not that healing was only for the early church. And healing was not for us today. The problem is not. Lack of effective ministers. Or declares of God's word. Brothers and sisters. The problem is we're not discerning the body of Jesus Christ. The body that was broken for us. And when Jesus took the stripes on his back. He took them. For your healing, for the healing in your body. For the last few minutes of our class that we have here before we shut down at 2 o'clock, I want us to stand together because I feel faith in the house of the Lord. We're going to have a great time of worship in a few moments. We're going to have a drama. But right now I feel like doing what the Lord has called us as the church to do. And that is to anoint with oil and to pray the prayer of faith to discern the broken body of Jesus Christ And as we discern the broken body of Jesus Christ, we believe that through the power of Jesus' name, that there is healing for your body. And I'm going to ask right now, I know this is really weird and different for a Sunday school class on Easter Sunday morning, but I wonder if there's anybody in the house today that has pain in your body or sickness in your body, and you're going to believe the Lord right now as you discern the broken body of Jesus Christ. Say, well, I don't want to take advantage of the stripes He took on His back. That's the wrong attitude. He took stripes so you could be healed. And if we ignore it, if we don't discern it, it's like somebody doing something special for you and you don't even use it. His body was broken for you. And I feel the power of God's Spirit. I feel faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. Come on, men. Let's pray together. We're going to anoint with oil by faith. We're going to have prayer later in the service, but I feel... I feel God directing this right now. I didn't plan to do this. But in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Jesus is here and anything can happen in this house. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, that's it. If you have a loved one that's sick in body, maybe they're not here this morning, but you can call on the name of Jesus and say, Lord, I I remember the body that was broken and I speak with authority against sickness. God, I take authority in the name of Jesus over leukemia. In Robert Fuller's life, I take authority over this by the broken body of Jesus. This is not the sickness unto death. And if it be your will, Lord God, I believe and accept deliverance of the body, the physical body, in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, for Brother Keys in the name of Jesus. I pray for healing and I speak it in the name of the Lord. I command it in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for those that are perennially sick. Those, Lord God, who suffer from infirmity and weakness in their body. Let them discern the body of Jesus Christ and get up expecting today to be a better day. And my body to be better today. Because Jesus' body was broken, so I don't have to go around broken. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, come on. Lift up your voice and praise. Him. Jesus is here right now. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know what? That felt good, didn't it? Amen. Your faith is built right now on the word of the Lord. But here's the deal. We need to start expecting miracles. I said we need to start expecting miracles at Life Church. If we're not expecting miracles, then we're not discerning the body of Christ. We're forgetting the sacrifice and the lashes on His back. We're expecting God to do great things. We're expecting for people to testify having been delivered from cancer. We're expecting. We're expecting to hear testimonies. That degenerative diseases and problems in the body are going to be delivered by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Hallelujah. God bless you. We've got about 15 minutes before we begin uh, the next part of the service. Thank you for listening attentively. Thank you for responding to the Spirit of the Lord. God bless you. Uh, What I'd like for you to do, we're going to turn some music on and and spend a few minutes of intermission here. I want you to find somebody and say hello to them. If you don't know them, introduce yourself to them. Let them know. Uh, You're so glad to see them.